0: Welcome to PB&J Connection, this will not be televised podcast. Thanks for checking us out. I'm PB. And I'm Jay. Our health-related discussions will convey educational information about medical research, studies, facts, findings, and experiences of people from every walk of life.
1: Concepts will be simple and easy to understand. We've got you covered,
0: and we promise to not be boring. So let's dive into the world of health you won't find on your television.
1: Welcome, listeners, to PBJ Connection. This will not be televised. Today we are going to talk about neuroplasticity. And Pam is going to start us off with a trivia
0: question. Take it away, Pam. Hey, everyone. Hello, listeners. Our trivia question for today is how much plastic exists in human blood? At the end of this broadcast, you will hear the answer. But let's dive into our topic for today. So, I'll be talking about the science, brain science, and neuroplasticity. So, imagine your brain not as a fixed or unchangeable entity, but an ever evolving landscape, constantly growing and reshaping based on our experiences, our thoughts, and our actions. Now, this is the essence of neuroplasticity the brain's remarkable ability to change and adapt throughout our, our lives. You know, for decades, I think scientists believed that the brain structure was largely unchangeable after childhood. But however, recent discoveries have turned this notion on its head, the pun, <laughs> revealing that our brains are capable of extraordinary transformation at any age from the way we learn the skills to how we recover from injury neuroplasticity plays a vital role it's the science behind a pianist's fingers think of it or uh, that can dance effortlessly across the keys and how a stroke survivor can learn to speak and walk after having a stroke um, also the heart of why we practice certain certain rituals, um, our brains become better mental, uh, mentally, as well as our physical health and well-being. So whether you're a lifelong learner, a, a wellness enthusiast, or simply curious about the untapped potential of your own brain, um, let's just dive into what's happening. So let's go to the myths, Jay, because there's a lot of myths out there, and we I talked briefly about it in the intro because I'm, we're here to kind of debunk some of that stuff. And the things we're going to talk about here are not televised on television, um, spoke about on the radio. You may find a few YouTube videos on it and, of course, you know, LinkedIn and uh, TikTok and, and some of the other platforms. But we're going to dive in a little bit deeper so people have an understanding because, what we present here is based on research and scientific data um, that uh, proven research and scientific data to give you a better understanding of the story behind what's happening in the brain. So, let's start debunking the long lasting myth that our brains stop changing after a certain age. You know, some people say that by the time you're at the age of seven, you're kind of, uh, you're susceptible to anything and everything, you know, Uh, but you also, you also because of your environment or because you, you know, your parents or uh, just general, you know, people, well, children tend to pick up on, on what they see others do, right? Or they hear things that others say, and they start believing that. And so they create these neural pathways in their brain to believe that this is what's true but if we're pulling back the layers of this myth we reveal the truth behind the brain's remarkable ability to evolve and adapt throughout our entire lives from the regeneration of neurons and i'll explain what neurons is in the adult brain um to the lifelong potential for learning and memory enhancement you know because Older people think that they can't remember things because, you know, as, as my dad once said, and I think I said this in another broadcast, I, I, he had forgotten something and I had said, dad, don't you remember? And he said, look, at my age, I'm allowed to forget. So so I take that as his, his response or, or his excuse for not doing more than what he's doing. And so when we look at uh, the word Neuroplasticity, because that's what I'm talking about—the neuroplasticity of the brain. You know, I'm—I'm I'm going to use a definition from psychology today. The plasticity is the capability or capacity to be shaped or molded or altered. That's plasticity just itself. The prefix word neuro is Greek, uh, which means nerve or nerves. Neuroplasticity then is the ability to for the brain to adapt and change over time by creating new neurons or cells, and this is what neurons are, they're cells within the nervous system which we use to transmit electrical signals that carry information around the brain to the rest of the nervous system and building new networks or pathways. So just imagine your brain being this ever-changing landscape as i said before not rigid not a rigid structure but always in changing for years people believed that the brain's capacity to change was limited to childhood but recent discoveries have revealed a different story the adult brain can grow and adapt too and like discovering the secret garden in your backyard that you can cultivate and you can transform at any age the adult hippocampus which is a part of the brain, a region crucial to the memory and learning, continues to produce these new neurons, these pathways uh, throughout your life. So the ongoing growth is like adding new flowers to a garden, showing us that our brain has the potential to exchange, to change and extend well beyond our childhood. Now that's just one myth. The other myth, so moving on to the second myth, You know, it's often assumed that aging is inevitable and leads to the decline in cognitive function. But really, is that our fate? Fate. Is that our fate as we get older? Is that what we have to look forward to? Well, if you look at, I'm going back to the tree because I've been talking about landscapes all this time because I'm thinking about I got some landscaping work to do because (laughs) winter is setting in. (laughs) you know consider a tree that grows stronger and more resilient with age you know you see these big trees you probably have one in your yard or somewhere nearby this tree that's been there for years and years and it continues to grow and it continues to flourish you know the same way our brain can remain vibrant and, and adaptive as we change you know so we challenge the myth that cognitive decline is our cognitive decline is inevitable as we age. Now, studies have shown that engaging in enriching environments, and when I say enriching environments, I mean like social connections, pleasurable relationships, and experiences, and we stay physically active um, are like watering and nourishing this tree, encouraging new growth, even in old age. You know, by staying active, and, and Jay is going to touch on that, by staying active, it's like Um, You know, adults stimulate, older adults can stimulate their brains and like the gardener can tend to an aging tree that is still flourishing. So, do you know, have you ever heard of Jay, uh, Bert Goldman? I have not. Okay. Bert Goldman is this famous guy and he does quantum leaping. He has this program, I think it's called quantum jumping. And so Bert, and, and I've had a chance to actually, you know, Uh, see him and actually get some training from him. He's now in his 90s, but he's an Mm -hmm. accomplished painter. Um, His paintings are worth thousands of dollars. He's a photographer. Uh, He developed a new way of photography, which is hanging in uh, galleries across the world. And it amazes me because of the fact that the, the way that he takes photography is different than anything I've ever seen before and it it's so attractive and so appealing that I understand why galleries are now hanging them in there in, in some of the best galleries around the world and he learned to play the piano all of this he done he did after the age of 50. So I mean this is not something that he was born into or he realized he yeah. had a talent in you know when he picked up photography he picked it up he just decided he needed something to do so he got a camera and he started taking pictures and it took off from there because he was trying to learn more more things and and the way the camera worked and so forth um and so it has it actually has made him a very successful man you know? he's a, he's <laughs> also a superager
1: he's a superager yeah. that is the term that that is being used yeah. for yeah. those people who are you know, well into their late eighties or nineties, or even early hundreds, where they are mm-hmm. still vital. They are still with it. They still got it going on. Norman Lear, if you remember oh, Norman yes, Lear, he's a yes, hundred. He's hundred and one. The man is a hundred and one. He's still, he still, you know, make making things happen. And right. And I have to say, as you were talking, it made me think about, um, you know, when you're young and you're uh, growing up, you're a kid, and you become a. Teen, you are almost automatically curious. You're almost automatically active, right? It's not something that you have to force yourself to do. It's not like you have to force yourself to be curious or force yourself to exercising and active and moving around and doing things and learning and this, cause it's all part of the process. But when you get to a certain age, you know, just like you were talking the myth, if you look back on previous generations, you think about how many people just said, "Oh, well I've turned, I've retired and I've turned, right. you know, X number and so now all I'm going to do is sit in my recliner or rocking chair and watch TV." And so there is no effort intuitively to, you know, be curious and to be active like it was in your youth. So you really right. have to make that effort. I mean, it's not just going no one's going to knock at your door and say, "Hey, let me show you how to use a camera and you and your right. example, let me show you right. how to paint. Right? Mm-hmm. It's, it's something you really have to make an effort to do. Consciously. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Consciously. And and consistently. Yes. Not like so when you were the, a kid. Yeah, absolutely. Because, yeah. you know, I remember, and this is just, you know, do you remember, or have you seen kids play with Legos? Yeah. And they're little squares, and they just have little pigs that stick up so you can stick them together. Yeah. Well, you give a kid a Lego set, right? And watch how they will create something, or we'll construct something, and then they'll just take it apart. Yeah. Just take it apart, and they'll do it all over again. And they'll just keep trying to make it better and better and better. And the more, it's amazing because I have a cousin who, um, he's now in engineering school in in aeronautics in, uh, in uh, Arizona, but he grew up on Legos. He loved Legos. He had thousands and thousands of pieces. I mean, they used to have these bends of Lego pieces that they would keep for him, and he grew up just doing it over and over to the point that he could see when he was about I would say 10 or eleven he could see a bridge and he could go home and take his Lego pieces and recreate it yeah so you know just, and that was just being consistent right. consistent in what he was doing so let's just go ahead and, and with the and confront the final you know myth about this you know our mental health and our emotional responses the way we treat people the way we respond to certain situations you know are hardwired you know people think that they can't change you've heard that oh he won't change or she won't change uh, or this is just the way they are you know but anything that challenges you to change that that notion about yourself you can do it and you can actually rewire the neural pathways in your brain. So it's like in the case of mindfulness and meditation, you know, you can, and some people call it prayer, you know, you can go into a state of, let's say an alpha state, you know, where you're just going into a, a state of meditation and your brain will rewire itself and create these neural pathways that are different than they were before you know, and, and some are resistant. So you'll find that some are not going to change immediately, but the more you do it, just like those Lego pieces, when I was talking about with my cousin, the more you do it, the more consistent you are with doing just simple meditation, mindfulness and prayer, um, and or prayer, because, you know, I, I respect everybody's religious beliefs, um, is, is the more that you can find profound changes in, in your mental health and in your emotional resilience and your overall well-being because it's saying thing that that state of being in, you know, whenever you're in a stressful environment, such as stress, anxiety, you know, fear, phobias, whatever it is, or, you know, whatever it is, there is, um, there's going to be a certain resistance because it's a habit that you built up over time. It's a mental habit. Okay, so let's go back to the forest okay so picture let's go i you know i have to stay on this forest thing because i keep thinking i gotta go out here and do a lot of landscaping, and cut some some stuff down prune a few things that you know so that by spring next year and come back you know full and, and so forth but um so picture yourself on this well trodden path you know in the forest and in the usual way of thinking and responding okay so meditation is like forging a new path through this forest because this far is is like there and so what you're doing is you're with consistent practice of being mindful and doing meditation and or prayer is what you're doing is you're building a new path where in areas that was overgrown you know by weeds and you know foliage and so forth so you become, the path becomes clearer as you do it more and more and more. That's you're, where this consistency comes in.
1: You're retraining your brain. And, and just like uh-huh. you said, with meditation and anything, you know, mindfulness, anything like that, because people cling to those kinds of exercises to reduce their stress.
0: Uh-huh. And just like
1: you said, if you do it enough times, you are recreating a different routine, a different a different path, as you say. Um, in the garden or in the in the backyard, you know, and not going the the old path, right? I'm I'm giving up this. I'm the old I'm, path. I'm reducing my yeah. stress because I don't want that path. I want right. a better
0: path. Yeah, absolutely. Because it's like, okay, this is not. You know, a lot of people say this is not working well. I got to find another way. You know. Yeah. And so, you know, studies on mindfulness have shown that regular meditation can physically physically. Not just mentally, but physically, which means mental, your thoughts, but can physically alter the brain structure and function. Enhancing areas related to attention, emotion regulation, and mental flexibility. This is a, this gradual transforming uh, these pathways and, and on this winding trail because... If you go onto Google and want to find what neurons and neural pathways look like, you'll see it looks like, um, you know, highways, you know, like little pathways that go everywhere and they're all connected. Believe it or not, they're all connected to the brain. And so you're reshaping on how your brain actually navigates. So it's kind of amazing. So all in all, I'm going to let Jay take over from here because of the fact that this this whole thing of, of changing your brain has is so much attuned to what I love to do. Um, so you, I are, know that you,
1: some- you are the poster child for keeping your brain going. Because <laughs> I got to tell you, listeners, you know, when, when Pam retired and she started telling me everything that she was doing, it's like, I don't know how you're doing it because it's all I can do just to focus on one thing. But she she is constantly challenging herself she is constantly learning um so kudos to you pam for you know making sure what is that expression if you don't use it lose it. lose it Right. I, and i think that is i think we have found that that yes. is true right
0: it, it, keep... yes it is a fountain of youth yeah honestly yeah you do yep. have
1: to keep keep on it right through that yeah um so i'm just going to go over some studies that i found that i thought were interesting and definitely uh, coincide with what Pam has been describing. And the first thing I'm going to talk about, um, the Physiological Society in January 2023, they uh, put out an article, and the title of the article said, six minutes of high-intensity exercise could delay the onset of Alzheimer's. So, yeah, who wants Alzheimer's, right? So anything that will delay it. I'm
0: surprised it's just that little bit of time, you know, because people... People, People think, think that, that you they have to, have to, when you work out, you got to work hard all the time, the right, whole time.
1: Right, and that's, a, again, one of the myths, according, you mm-hmm. know, assuming that this particular study is applicable, the, the sample of this is a pretty small one, so, mm-hmm. you know, it, it's, you could probably do some more research and find out that maybe there's some other things that don't agree with this, and it really has to be 30 minutes or 20 minutes or whatever, But uh, this particular study said that uh, a short but intense bout of cycling, they used cycling, um, Uh increases the production of a specialized protein called brain-derived neurotrophic factor, BDNF. And this article said that that protein is essential for brain formation, learning, and memory, and could protect the brain from age-related cognitive decline. So this particular protein promotes neuroplasticity. And as Pam already talked about, that's the ability of the brain to form new connections and pathways. And it's shown promise in animal models, um, BDNF, that protein, but pharmaceutical interventions have failed to safely harness the protective power of BDNF. And so this particular study, they said, well, what else could, you know, what could we do that's not pharmaceutical? What could we show? How could we, you know, how could humans you know, survive and flourish by doing something else. So they took 12 physically active participants, six males, six females, aged between 18 and 56 years. They did a study. And they found that brief but vigorous exercise was the most efficient way to protein compared to one day of fasting with or without a length- lengthy session of light exercise. So they said that uh, the observed increase in this protein during exercise could be due to the increased number of platelets. And platelets are the smallest blood cell which store large amounts of that protein. The concentration of platelets circulating in the blood is more heavily influenced by exercise than fasting increases by 20% that protein, 20% increase, that's pretty significant. So the bottom line was uh, they think that the the folks that did this study, they think that fasting and exercise can be used in conjunction uh, to optimize that protein production in the human brain. And again, that sample size was very small, um, but if it's true, that six minutes of intensive exercise, especially if it's cycling, everyone can fix six minutes Fit six minutes into their routine. Everybody,
0: absolutely. Right.
1: You, everybody has six minutes to spare. I don't care how busy you say you are. Everybody's got six minutes, including me. And I can find an excuse for everything. And Pam knows this.
0: <laughs> but she's changing, folks. She's yeah, changed. <laughs> I know.
1: Well, when I retire, I have said I'm going to start exercising more regularly and eating better. And Pam will keep but, me on the straight and narrow. But
0: here it is: trust and believe, listeners. It's not that Jay is sitting still; she <laughs> never sits still. She has multiple projects. She is my she is my 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 jack of all construction trades. And I'm if trying she can, to she can do uh, it. Has done it.
1: <laughs> I don't want I don't want to be that, but I have been. Survival has required me to do that, and YouTube is my friend. <laughs> <Right>. But anyway, <laughs> so. So we talked about exercise as being one way to impact the the cognitive decline so another article from geneva university in april 2023 the title of that article was how music can prevent cognitive decline so this particular team discovered that practicing and listening to music alter cognitive decline in healthy seniors by stimulating the production of gray matter who knew what gray matter What that so um, the study was conducted among 132 healthy retirees from 62 to 78 years of age. One of the conditions for participating in the study was that they had not taken any music lessons for more than six months in their lives. And this is, you know, I thought it was interesting. You talked about that gentleman who had uh, started taking piano after he was, what, 50 or 60? Yes, after 50. After mm-hmm. 50. After so 50. Yeah. So, you know, old dogs can learn new tricks, right? Right. Remember that saying? yes uh i think it's wrong um <laughs> i mean old, old dogs can
0: new, learn new can, tricks can learn yeah because i think yes. the saying
1: was you can't learn new. yeah you can't
0: learn yeah. Yeah. yeah old dogs don't learn right new tricks. right yeah.
1: so the participants in this study were randomly assigned to two groups regardless of their motivation to play an instrument the second group had active learning less listening lessons which focused on instrument recognition and analysis of musical properties in a wide range of musical styles, and the classes lasted for an hour. Participants of both groups were required to do homework for half an hour a day. 30 minutes, that's nothing. 30 minutes, that's, again, just like that six minutes, right? 30 minutes, that's right. nothing. So. Just like Pam was talking about, this article emphasized that throughout our lives, our brain remodels itself. The morphology and connections change according to the environment and the experiences, right? When we learn new skills or overcome the consequences of a stroke, for example, the brain adjusts. Um, As we age, the brain plasticity increases, and the brain also loses gray matter. And that gray matter is where neurons are located. And when you lose that gray matter, that's called brain atrophy. We don't want atrophy of anything. As we get older, yes. <laughs> the, the word atrophy is a bad, bad word. I don't care what you're applying it to.
0: You're right. Muscle
1: atrophy, brain atrophy, anything atrophy. We don't want that word. So working memory at the core of many cognitive processes is one of the cognitive functions that suffers the most. So working memory, this article says, is Defined as the process in which we briefly retain and manipulate information to achieve a goal, such as remembering a telephone number long enough to write it down or translating a sentence from a foreign language. So practicing and listening to music have been found to promote brain plasticity and increase the volume of gray matter. So yes, that's what we want. We want to increase the gray matter. We don't want to lose it. We want to increase it, Right. Right. And that gray matter is in four brain regions uh, involved in high-level cognitive functioning. So in uh, this particular study, it said that positive impacts were measured on working memory. Performance increased by 6%, and this result was directly, directly correlated to the plasticity of the cerebellum also found that the quality of sleep, the number of lessons followed over to the intervention and the daily training quantity had a positive impact on the degree of improvement in performance. So, you know, Pam... Worked, well, I
0: think I'm gonna start uh, listening more music and dancing, get I, the physical...
1: I tell you what, <laughs> well, here's the thing. Now, I never told you this, but I'm telling you now, I had, in, in my youth, I had taken piano lessons Probably two or three times trying to figure out how to do that I never could figure it out it was all the only thing I could do was memorize the notes yep. and the, and <laughs> the finger blah bitty, right.
0: blah blah
1: <laughs> right I could never read music it was like hieroglyphics to me I was like I don't know what that means it's too small I don't know anything about it but when I retire I've still got an electric piano with headphones and I, one of the things on my to-do list is to learn how to play piano if it kills me. If someone yes, kills me. You heard that.
0: But she's, she's made an open announcement. So we have to follow up with Jay to make yes. sure that she is doing yes. her lessons and she's training on the piano. Yes. So that is one of my and things. And hopefully we'll be, be able to give her a recital. On
1: yeah. No, yeah.
0: No recitals.
1: No recitals. But... Yeah, I don't want to, I don't want to, we want to bring people to our podcast. We don't want to, you know, turn them away with the recital. Awesome. Um, but let me see. There was one more thing I wanted to talk about, Pam. Let me hear in my bag of tricks. Here we go. This is what you and I talked about before we uh, uh, started the podcast. The University of Cambridge in January, 2023, turning into brainwave, ra- tuning into brainwave rhythms speeds up learning in adults, a study finds. This is a first study to show that delivering information at the natural tempo of our neural pulses accelerates our ability to learn. Neuroscientists use EEG sensors attached to the head to measure electro- electrical activity in the brain of 80 study participants. And they sampled brainwave rhythms. So participants who got a simple 1.5 second visual cue at their personal brainwave frequency were at least three times faster when it came to improving at a cognitive task. So when researchers tested those participants, again, the next day, those had improved faster, were still just as good. The learning took. It stuck. Wow. And, And it was at that optimal brainwave thing that they measured with the EEG. And this article says, each brain has its own natural rhythm generated by the oscillation of neurons working together. Again, we go back to the neurons that we were talking about. Our brain's plasticity is the ability to restructure and learn new things, continually building on previous patterns of neuronal interactions. By harnessing brain wave rhythms, it may be possible to enhance flexible learning across the lifespan from infancy to older adulthood older adulthood is music to my ears when it, right. when it talks right. cuz no one wants to lose their mind right nobody no. nobody not even their memory no nobody but what's interesting about this and it's this isn't just about old folks uh, this article said children now do so much of their learning in front of screens. One can imagine using brainwave rhythms to enhance aspects of learning for children who struggle in regular classrooms, perhaps due to attentional deficits. So this whole thing with the the brainwaves and and being able to find that optimal time when you are ripe for learning. Can you imagine? They said uh, in this particular article that they could even make headbands. You know, it, you know, kind of devices where people could figure out, okay, this is, the, this is the best time for me to learn. Let me start now, right? When right. those brain waves are going on. So I think they're coming up with all kinds of uh, new ways to show that you can teach an old dog new tricks and uh, children perhaps with learning disabilities will thrive instead of struggle, you know, with this kind of uh, thing if it comes for, to fruition.
0: And yeah. especially as much screen time as they use. I mean, this is that would be a great time to, to be able to use those brain waves in order to depending on you know, of course it, it needs to be, you know, parental guidance is suggested. Sure. But, you know, as long as it's uh, it could benefit them, why not? Why not?
1: So pretty so interesting it, stuff coming down the pipe. It point.
0: really is. I mean this this is you know, for us to go down this journey it's just amazing for me to, to learn as much as I did and, and you know and for for us to be on this platform, especially now. Um, and I say that because of the fact that things are happening in the world. Sometimes we don't know how to maneuver and how to um, how they're impacting us, not only the things we do but the things we think. So it's kind of the key takeaways from from this episode is that the brain can change and adapt throughout the life, not just in our childhood. Um, engaging in physical and mental activities can foster brain growth and combat cognitive decline in older adults. And regular meditation can rewire the brain, creating new neural pathways and enhancing cognitive functions. And here it is, listeners. Not everyone's brain is alike. Everyone's brain is different and unique and adaptable. Also, music, more importantly, because this is the part I like, so which means that I can turn on some music and I can dance, jump up and down. (laughs) Between the physical and, and music, practicing and listening to music increases cognitive function, performance, actually. So that's great, Jay. Good stuff. Um, let's go back to our trivia question. We're going to wrap this up for for this episode, but how much plastic exists in the human body?
1: Okay. So according to a March 2022 article, and by the way, the statistics in here may be even more frightening than that I'm getting ready to tell you. <laughs> um, yeah. According to this article, the overall concentration of plastic particles in blood average the equivalent of one teaspoon of plastic per the amount of water in 10 large bathtubs now that might sound like oh that's nothing oh that's oh no that why should i worry about that well that doesn't include how much plastic might be in different concentrations in different parts of the body not just in the blood so this particular statistic is just blood just in your blood who in the heck wants plastic in, in any, I mean, I don't, I don't want any plastic in my blood, thank you. Right. Right? And so... It's just so
0: the blood flows freely. Yes.
1: Yes. And so they said that uh, the most prominent kind of plastic in the blood was polyethylene terephthalate, a common type that's of plastic fine. used in drink bottles, food yes, packaging, I was and Yes, say,
0: that's, that's the same, yeah, plastic they use in, in those bottles drink from. Yeah, PET. Uh,
1: I think mm-hmm. people probably see it. And they mentioned lip gloss for those people who wear lip gloss. Oh, wow. Oh, boy. Um, the second most commonly found plastic in the sample was polystyrene, which is used to make a wide variety of common household products in bowls, plates, and containers, and what we call styrofoam. And the third most likely plastic found in subjects' blood was polyethylene, a material regularly used in the production of paints, sandwich bags shopping bags plastic wrap and detergent bottles and in toothpaste oh my gosh oh my who, god who, who knew it was in toothpaste
0: <laughs> oh my god oh boy toothpaste i have yeah. mounds and amounts of different toothpaste. yeah so
1: it's like um i don't see plastic as an ingredient on mine but that doesn't mean anything right
0: oh no, but i guess the emission you know once the product is in there and you use it Any chemicals that are in that plastic is going to go in the material that you're using and then you ingest it and then it ends up in your bloodstream, you know, or in other parts because we had an episode on plastics or or other organs and parts of the body. So, oh, this is not a good thing.
1: So you eat or breathe in about 2,000 tiny plastic particles according to 2019 study and most are ingested from bottled water. Bottled water and tap water. Tap water. Water? Tap water. Oh. Don't I don't know if my filter <laughs> that right. I use, I wonder if it's filtering for plastics. But they're nanoplastics, right? That's not like right, pieces of plastic you can just take out the, right. you with don't, your fingers. You can't see it. Right. Yeah.
0: Yeah. So, That's crazy. Crazy, 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 crazy. Well look you know, I guess what our listeners can do is make sure they stay away from, you know, plastic drinking water bottles. You know, there's glass now everywhere that you can get, glass drinking bottles that you can get everywhere. Um, there's filters that you can put on your tap water, you know, filters that you can you know, Brita, there's pictures out there with filters on it. And if you don't want to get plastics in your bloodstream of all places, then this may be a a quick fix and actually an inexpensive fix that you can do for yourself for your own health and well-being. So, Jay, with that, we're going to wrap this show up. Listeners, as always, we are are so appreciative and so grateful that you stopped by our neighborhood and just done a a quick check-in to see what we're talking about, see what we're doing, And we hope you return soon for our next episode of PB&J Connections.